we're in a world now where I think a lot of people are not grateful. Mm. And people might listen to this and go, well, you know, it's, it's okay for him to say that because, you know, he's got success. Well, actually, you know, down in Waterford, I burnt my hands on the toasters and McDonald's and, you know, did the kids magic from Ross Lair to Roscoff on the boats for many years. And, and I, with Ken Kiersey, I worked, put my hands up cow's arses as a vet, as a vet you know, so I've been there, done that. And I'm just grateful for the position that I'm in. But I think more people need to take a step back mm. and stop whinging and moaning and blaming everybody else mm. for their own situation in life. Mm. You know, success is built inside our own heads, not from the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Keith Barry, the world's leading TV hypnotist, mentalist, magician and mind hacker. Keith's TED Talk is in the top most viewed TED Talks of all time. With skills showcased in over 40 international television shows, Keith has mastered the ability to hack into people's minds and rewire their subconscious. His first book, Brain Hacks, was a bestseller in Ireland. And not surprisingly, Keith is in very high demand as a corporate entertainer and speaker where he uses his skills as a brain hacker to entertain, motivate and inspire audiences all over the world. To learn more about Keith and his most interesting work, check out keithbarry.com. Keith, welcome to the Doctor's Chair. Thanks very much for having me. It's good to see you. So who is Keith Barry? It's a great question. I suppose I am a father, first and foremost, a husband. And then, yeah, I'm a brain hacker, a mentalist, a hypnotist, an escapologist, a mountebank, a trickster, a hoaxer. I could go on and on and on. And recently, actually, I've been bestowed the honor of becoming the wizard of the Western world, which is a a strange thing to say, but that has been bestowed upon me by a very interesting mentor of mine, Tony slash Doc Shields, who took the most famous photograph that was ever taken of Loch Ness Monster. And he was known as the wizard of the Western world for many, many years. I love that term, the wizard of the Western world, you know, that sense of childish magic and curiosity and an exploration where did your passion because you have a real obvious passion for magic and mentalism and all of the kind of work you do keith where did it all come from this was a difficult question to answer but i think first and foremost 
uh, to latch on to something that you said. I, I have an infinite curiosity about everything and I'm open-minded, albeit a skeptic behind the open-mindedness. So, you know, I think cynicism is not a good thing. I think skepticism is very good. But, you know, for me, I think I, I suppose a lot of my passion just comes from my youth. You know, my parents, Ken and Kitty, they're still alive. They just introduced me to a lot of different things when I was young. And I think it's so important that we do that with our own kids. So, you know, when I was young, you know, I was out in nature a lot with them. They would bring me everywhere all over Ireland in a caravan and then, you know, picking cockles in Woodstown and, you know, just playing football and doing taekwondo. So they introduced me to a lot, a lot of different things. And I think that got my curiosity going on life. Now, look, when it comes to magic, I got a Paul Daniels magic set when I was five and that mm. introduced me to that world. And then when I, when I was 14, I bought a really good book on magic called The Klutz Book of Magic. And that really got me going insofar as performing in the public arena. I learned all the tricks out of that book and started performing the wine vault here in Waterford uh, many, many moons ago. And then I also, at the same time, I got a book on hypnosis called Practical Hypnotism by E. Wolf. And that kind of brought me into the, the world of hypnosis. And for me, I think I was just lucky that probably genetically, I just am infinitely curious about the world. And I tried to instill that in my own kids as well, you know. I think it was Einstein who spoke about curiosity. And I really think it's a brilliant skill and attribute to have is to be curious, to keep asking questions. And I like what you say about the word skeptic as well. I mean, when I speak about lifestyle medicine or positive health, people say, well, I'm a skeptic. And I might say, well, that's great because I'm into the science. I'm into the evidence. Mm -hmm. And it's good to be skeptical. It's good to ask questions, but it's fantastic to stay curious. Because I think when you stay curious, you're keeping your mind open. And I suppose that brings me to my next question about, you know, mind. And I always think of the iceberg analogy, you know, there's only a tiny bit of our mind over the surface and so much, which is known as the subconscious mind is, mm -hmm. is like the huge bit of the iceberg that that's underwater. In terms of brain hacking and in terms of hypnosis, talk to me about that, Keith, in terms of what you can achieve, what you've seen with people and, and the benefits that, that have occurred? Yes. Yeah, so I think it's interesting that the majority of people, whether it's business people listening to this, whether it's kids or just everyday people walking down the road, most people actually have no concept of the subconscious mind, how it works, how it operates. They're aware of it, right? They've heard of the subconscious mind, but it kind of stops there. Very often when I'm giving a talk, whether it's a hundred people or a thousand people, I've identified that's about 3% Roughly speaking, I, that's the metric that I've identified. It's only 3% who have any understanding of the subconscious mind. So therefore, 97% of people don't understand it. There's a problem there. And the problem is that, you know, if you look at, at the science, which I do, I mean, first and foremost, people listening, that many of them may not know, I'm actually a scientist myself. So I graduated from UCG, which is now NUIG, back in 98. So uh, I examine things myself from a scientific background. And if you look at the science right now, and, and the science is, you know, becoming more and more updated, obviously, and behind this, that about 95% of our processes, of our thought processes are subconscious. It's only about 5%. You can look up the work, works of Gerald Zaltman on that if you want to dig a bit deeper. But ultimately, to loop back to it, I find it fascinating, the permanent change that you can make in people. And I, I can help people make within themselves literally in an hour. 
And that could be anything from, for example, somebody could have had a fear or a phobia for 20 years, 30 years. It really doesn't matter to me. But in an hour, once I can hack and bypass past their conscious mind to get into their subconscious mind, I can really help people to alleviate whatever it is they need to alleviate. Like, a, I suppose, the most recent example that people uh, may have seen that they can find on YouTube or certainly on the RTE player was my last season of the Keith Barry experience on RTE where I brought on this lady and she had a fear of snakes for 20 years. And you might think, so what? But actually to her, that fear, you know, really affected her life because, mm. for example, she would come across a photograph of a snake on her phone and she threw her phone down and it turns out she'd broken four phones by that happening, right? So we actually don't realize how many times we might actually see a photograph of a snake and so on. Anyway, ultimately, she was petrified. It turned out the reason she was so scared was that her uncles used to prank her with toy snakes when she was very young. And mm. that's where the fear came from. But ultimately, within an hour, I had her fully cured, fully over her fear. And we put, I think it was like a 17 foot long python and 16 corn snakes into a glass coffin with her. And she was just, and I kept her awake, by the way. So she wasn't under hypnosis when this was happening. And she was smiling and laughing and she was perfectly fine with the whole thing. And even now I got a you know message from her a couple of months ago now, but ultimately a couple of months after we had filmed, uh, she went to the zoo with her, I think it was her kids or her nieces and nephews. And she's permanently over that fear. So fear is an interesting example, but actually anything that is inhibiting somebody's mindset can be cured, healed, helped, whatever word terminology you want to use. If you understand how to get inside the subconscious mind, I understand it. I understand how to utilize that. I think there are some people out there in my world and perhaps your world as well that are overstating and overclaiming what mm. can and can't be done. And I think there's a danger there as mm. well. So we have to be careful and mindful of that. Mm. I think epigenetics is real. I think you can alter your genetic makeup mm. by using your mindset, but also we have to be careful of how far we truly think that this can go, you know? Mm. Oh, no, abs absolutely. I mean, you have to stick with the science. And, but it is really interesting, the power of belief. And something I've thought a lot about Lately, Keith, this whole idea about, you know, where do actual thoughts come from? Because when you break down your brain cells, break down the matter of your brain cells, you know, they become subatomic particles, photons, quarks and so on. And at the subatomic level, then they become sort of waveforms or energy. So no one has ever been really able to figure out yet where thoughts come from and are really thoughts an expression of consciousness. So I think this is really fascinating stuff. So one benefit is alleviation of fear. And I mean, of course, fear can really drive so many negative behaviors in the world. On the flip side, in terms of positive change, in terms of supporting somebody to build a new habit, if somebody wanted to build a new exercise habit or somebody wanted to improve their sleep or somebody wanted to make healthier choices in terms of their dietary habits, or work on new goals in their life or things like that. What's been your experience of your type of work in those areas? It's a great question. So for me, um, I know we spoke briefly a few weeks ago, you know, I run full day seminars on mm -hmm. this. However, by just one small shift in your habits daily, you can actually make a significant change to your life. And I'll, I'll tell you what that is. I'll share what that is in a moment. But ultimately, I think you do have to loop back to the basics and I was talking to somebody yesterday. This is a good story. So I was yeah. talking to somebody yesterday and they're working in an organization where this particular individual that I was working with, you know, he asked the CEO, 
you know, what are your actual three-tier goals for this organization? What are they? And the CEO was very clear on what they were. It was increased profits, reduced cost, and the third one, I can't remember what it was, but once again, it was monetary driven, right? Mm. And it's so interesting to me, you know, that a lot of companies and organizations are forgetting about the humanity behind what's mm. going on. And those are the organizations that ultimately will fail, yes. right? And this this company is struggling and they don't understand why they're struggling. Like they actually need somebody like me or somebody else to get in there mm. and actually tell them, actually stop everything and loop back to the basics. Because if you think about it, if a CEO is getting paid a couple of hundred thousand euros a year, doesn't understand that he needs to loop back to the basic necessity of mm. the people in the organization, which is... What is your personal reason, your personal purpose, your why mm. to bounce out of bed every day and nothing else matters? Now, I think the word purpose and the word why has been kind of, I suppose, utilized a lot recently, uh, perhaps almost overstated. But then it is a basic mm. necessity of the thought process of people to understand their personal why. Like I've got mine defined. I know what it is. The question I have for people out there listening to this podcast with me and Mark is, do you have yours defined? Mm. Like, for example, in, in just pre-pandemic, when I was on stage in the Olympia Theatre, there was 1,200 people there. I know exactly why I was standing on that stage. It wasn't by chance. Like, I was standing on that stage for a very specific reason. And the reason there was to transform people into a world of wonder where anything and everything can happen and to let them and allow them to forget about their everyday lives. It's as simple as that, but it was defined clearly. I knew. So therefore I know that I need to bounce out of bed to get the ticket sales. I am driven, not just by my intellect, by my emotions. So if you start at the base level, like why is it that you're doing the things that you're doing? Right. So we've got to start there. Now, secondarily, once you've defined your why, and your personal why, not your business why, because they're very separate things. I think very often when we hear about purpose, 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 it's the purpose of the organization. But actually, organizations need to understand that every individual has got their own mm. individual purpose, and we have to have those defined. But then how do you shift on a subconscious level? For me, it always comes back to hypnosis and self-hypnosis. Really, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. And again, I'm sure people listening to this, be like, eh, do I believe in hypnosis? Some people, right? Look, that conversation's over. Scientifically speaking, if I put somebody in an altered state of mind using hypnosis, if I hook them up to an fMRI machine, their brainwave state is changing. Mm-hmm. Like that's happening, mm-hmm. right? So that's science. And I'm putting them into really an alpha theta brainwave state, which is the sweet spot they need to be in in order to create effective, meaningful change on a subconscious level and actually create new neural pathways. Good news is you can do it yourself. So what I say to people, to answer your question, I know talked a lot before I get the answer but ultimately the answer to the question is this if you put aside 15 minutes a day first five minutes you relax your physical body I've found and it's my own method I don't know why it works so well but it does I've found that if I get people to visualize a purple light specifically purple and about the size of a football visualize that hovering over your feet and then imagine it going into your feet and then just allow your feet to relax like really actually focus on your feet relaxing then your ankles, your shins, your calf muscles, your knees, your thighs, bring that purple light up through your body. That'll take about five minutes. And then for the next five minutes, focus on the breath. So there's many different versions of breath work out there. I've just found that my own kind of technique works, which is the 636 technique. I find inhaling for six seconds or a count of six. It doesn't need to be six seconds. Inhaling for a count of six, holding for three, exhaling for six. But here's the key part. With other breathwork scenarios, you'll find they just tell you to do that, right? But with mine, 
I say to people, while you're doing that, visualize the breath as a purple breath. And while you're inhaling for the count of six, visualize that purple light going into your lungs, but spreading out through your internal organs, your heart, your lungs, your spleen, your liver, your kidneys, to allow them to settle down and all begin to work in unison to help you relax even more. And that will take about five minutes, right? And you don't have to measure this, just roughly five minutes, five minutes. And then for the final five minutes, here's the sweet spot. What will happen, by the way, is that you'll automatically go from beta brainwave state down into alpha theta or somewhere in between. You might even slip all the way down into, into delta or you know REM sleep. That's fine too. If that happens, that just means you need some rest, right? But generally speaking, you'll be consciously aware you'll be in an alpha theta brainwave state. While you're there, you visualize a gigantic screen, like the biggest screen you can imagine, and future project your compelling future, whatever it is for you, whether it's going to the gym, losing weight, seeing yourself more confident, uh, losing a fear, whatever that is, whatever that version, that compelling vision for your future, you visualize that on the screen at that moment in time. And it's important in your head, realize that you're in control of this picture. So you turn up the controls, make it big and bright and colorful and vivid, adding detail is key. And then imagine the sounds, imagine the smells. And what will happen here is you're programming your subconscious mind for whatever it is that you're visualizing. Now, this is not the law of attraction. So if you do that and then do nothing afterwards, nothing's going to happen. Mm. But what will happen is you're programming your subconscious mind to back up the actions necessary mm. to move you towards whatever it is that you visualize. The funky part about this, Mark, is that if you do this, and if you do it regularly, and I mean, I say to people, try it for 30 days every day. Commit every day for 30 days. And if you go for 30 days, everyone, I've yet to meet somebody who doesn't see a shift. You will see a shift within that 30 days. And I mean, every single person sees a shift. And what will happen is your subconscious mind is going to work in the background while you're going about your everyday life. So if if that's your work or out in the garden or whatever, your subconscious mind is going to be coming up with actions necessary to move you towards that goal or that dream. So what that means is, Imagine you're struggling with your weight, struggling with grabbing a bar of chocolate or whatever it is that you're, you know, struggling with that's putting on the weight. Your subconscious mind, when you go for that bar of chocolate, if you visualize correctly and under the conditions that I've just outlaid, if you like, you'll just find you won't reach for it because that's your subconscious mind working in the background telling you that's not healthy for me. That's not good for me. So just don't have that. And uh, and it's fascinating, the shift and change that that can make. And and I can't tell you, like, I'm 46 now, I'll be 47 this year. And I've been doing this, like, uh, not just for entertainment, like uh, as therapy, if you like, for 26 years now, pretty much so 20. Mm. And I've done this with thousands of people. Now, it hasn't worked for everybody. I'm not going to say that. But the majority of people that I've worked with have seen significant beneficial change and just doing that, just 15 minutes, create a visualization under self-hypnosis daily, you know. I absolutely love that idea, you know, just visualizing the purple light and then using the breath to really calm you and center you and ground you in presence. And at the same time, keeping the theme of the light going, bringing that light in and allowing it to go through your organs, settling everything down. So everything is connected. Everything's in unison. And then I love the piece where you're, you're projecting that vision of the positive change you want to make onto a screen where you can see it. And as you said, smell it, sense it, add in all the detail. But most importantly, I think at the end, you said it's it's vision plus action yeah. that changes our world. It's not just vision. We got to follow it up with the actions. Uh, but I think that's a lovely. I mean, I, I'm just reflecting in real time as a mindful exercise is something to dampen down stress and distraction in itself. 
it has benefits. Mm. It's just a lovely thing to do. A little gift to your own self-care, as I would say, Keith, yeah. each and every day. And on that theme of, of self-care, I know from from speaking to you before and um, from actually seeing a few of your LinkedIn posts uh, that you're a big fan of cold water therapy. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and, and just how you stay healthy yourself in a world which for you has a lot of demands and you're busy and and so on. So taking good care of yourself is ultimately really important. Yeah, absolutely. So look again, I could go on and on, but if I kind of crush it down quickly, I, I discovered, if you like, Wim Hof many, many moons ago, but I discovered him way before he became popular, which was nice actually, because I went to one of his seminars, I'm going to say like 12 years ago. Nobody really knew him. And it was in London. It was just like about a hundred of us there, maybe super cheap. It was like 60 pounds or something. Whereas now it's like one and a half thousand euros maybe for two days, which I still find actually very reasonable for somebody like him. And I, so I, I discovered Wim Hof and that's what got me introduced to cold therapy. So I've got a, an ice bath in the back garden. People don't understand when you see somebody like me in an ice bath or Wim Hof or wherever it may be, it's actually quite a commitment. Because you got to make the ice. They don't show you this, right? You got to make. <laughs> you got to make the ice. You got to freeze ice. Well, I, I freeze ice blocks. Then you got to put the ice in. You got to refill. So it's not like a two minute thing, unless you can afford a twenty five thousand euro ice bath, which is kind of what they charge for these ones from America. They're not wow. in here yet. I haven't seen them in here. But ultimately, anyway. So I do ice quite a bit. However, if I find myself crushed for time, I always have a cold shower instead. So back to the science. Two minutes is the sweet spot. If you go longer than two minutes, great. But actually, if you can just manage a cold shower for two minutes, you're going to have physiological benefits. You're going to have psychological benefits too. It's dumping dopamine and serotonin into your system. Like, you know, it's setting your body alkaline against disease. The white papers are out there. You can find them. You can look at them. Like, this is scientifically speaking. I know a lot of people listening to this will be resistant, right? They'll think, I can never have a cold shower. Actually, you just have your normal shower today and then at the end 10 seconds mm. freezing cold give it give yourself a blast and then tomorrow add on five seconds the next day add on five seconds before you know where you are you're up to two minutes it's not as difficult as people might deem it to be however i do have one top tip because you know cold showers they are hard right and i've never heard anybody talk about this every single morning when i have my cold shower if i'm not doing the ice bath i have the cold shower i have one of those bluetooth speakers in the shower and every morning same song thunderstruck Oh, I love that song. Yeah. So every (laughs) single morning, it's Thunderstruck. And I know, if you look it up, Thunderstruck is pretty much exactly four minutes, right? So I go four minutes in the cold shower now. But but that's actually just playing with resilience in my Mm. mindset. Physiological speaking and psychologically speaking, two minutes is is the optimal amount. Back to one of the other things that I do for my my own kind of mental health and physical health. Look, for mental health, my thing is fishing, right? I think you have to find something. It doesn't have to be fishing. It doesn't have to be golf. It can be anything, right? But you got to find something just to empty your brain, right? And for me, it, uh, fishing is actually part of my mental health strategy, if you like. Like you, I talk to people for a living. I help other people for a living. But I've got to take that time out to just defrag and empty my brain. So I'm meeting a, a friend of mine, very good hypnotist in Waterford. We've been friends for many, many moons. David Burke, I'm sure you know. Mm. Uh, I still call him Berkey. So we're going fishing tonight. I can't wait. It's like the most exciting part of my week. The two of us are just going to disappear and go fishing. But ultimately, that's great for my mental health. And then uh, to get back, i am gone really big now onto the microbiome and the mm. kind of gut brain area, which you probably know a lot more than, than I about it. However, I've studied it quite extensively in the last while. 
So I eat a lot of fermented foods. I grow my own sprouts. And this isn't a big thing in Ireland yet. I think it'll become a big thing as kind of the movement gets bigger. So people say, do you mean Brussels sprouts? No, I mean, organic seeds, they can be mustard seeds, they can be chickpea seeds. Ultimately, you get these seeds, you put them in a jar, you steep them for 12 to 18 hours, and, and you get a seeding jar, which means basically a jar where the lid has holes in it. Uh, and then you rinse them, you turn them upside down, and within kind of, it depends on the seed, but three to seven days, they will have sprouted in the jar. Here's the interesting thing, and this is not well known. You may know it, you may not know it. That has the highest level of probiotics and prebiotics known to man. And it's way better absorbed than a pill out of a pharmacy that's going to cost mm. 35 quid, right? Mm. Because it's real food. Mm. And it, when they measure these things, it's got huge levels of pro probiotics and prebiotics. So, you know, for me personally, I used to go to a doctor two, three times a year for antibiotics because my throat would be shot. I'd be so run down from literally flying all over the world and talking all the rest of it. Touch wood, you know, since pre-pandemic, so four years maybe, I've had one antibiotic and that was for an ear infection, mm. which I knew I was going to get. I was playing with one of the kids in a, one of those blow-up swimming pools in the backyard. The water had been in it for three days. There was no chlorine <laughs> in it. And I said, don't splash that mirror. Don't splash. And of course, one of the kids splashed in my ear. And a day later, I had a pain in my ear. That aside, even when COVID got me, I just had, weirdly, I just had pains in my hips. That's all that happened to me. So there are the things that I do to keep myself healthy. And, and like anybody, by the way, just to finish this off, I think very often people, when they listen to a podcast like this with myself or yourself, I think it's a danger to put ourselves up on a pedestal. Sometimes I don't get to my ice bath. Sometimes I miss my cold shower. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll have boozed too much at the weekend or whatever it may be. But it's always about just reorientating mm -hmm. and keeping those things back in check. Mm. And then in an overall capacity, you'll just find yourself having more healthy days than non-healthy days, I think, you know. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, I think moderation in all things. And I think if you have good habits as your baseline, they'll stand you in good stead. And you don't have to be on automatic pilot all the time. But um, I think the more you can, I suppose, automate some good baseline habits in your life. I think I think the cold showers, it's fascinating big randomized control trial in Holland has shown that it does strengthen the immune system and people that have the cold therapy get less flus and, and miss less time from work. And I think that, you know, the gut brain connection is really unbelievable. And we're only really scratching the surface, I think, in, in science and in medicine in terms of our understanding of the microbiome and prebiotics, probiotics. But I think the more you can become, I suppose, an active participant in your own well-being, the more you can really drill down on the foods that suit you and eat eat foods that are good for you and commit to stay curious, as you said at the start of this conversation, and staying curious. I mean, a brilliant example of that is your commitment to to eat sprouts because of their health enhancing benefits. So, you know, I think Stay curious and stay open. Uh, you know, I love to have a beetroot smoothie at work every day. Now I, I'm gone mad on beetroot the last couple of years and it's great for me. And, you know, I think when, when you experience the benefits and when you feel well, I mean, health is such a priceless gift. I have to just state, by the way, I frightened the bejesus out of me a couple of years ago. I had beetroot, first time I ever had it. And I'm, I'm going to be crude here if I can. Both my stools and my pee were both red. And I, I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. So I always have to remind myself, my own personal system, anytime I have beetroot, the next day, everything's coming out red and not to panic. So it's weird that whatever way my body digests it. But interestingly enough, to go back to one other thing, I do go to the gym 
quite regularly. Mm. Gym is not for everybody. So, you know, for me to say, go to the gym, I don't say that, right? No. But I think we all need to have a level of exercise and exercise means sweating, right? Mm. I think going for a walk is great. I go for loads of walks. If you're going to be a walker, walk fast so you get mm. your heart rate up, okay? But I'm just going to put it out there. The science, and look, we could have a long conversation with this another time, but the science that's out there does state that weight is where it's at mm. for your bone density, for longevity. And, and I'm not necessarily saying heavy weights, by the way. It can even potentially probably be body weight, mm. right? But just resistance on some level, you know, resistance exercise, whether that's like with bands. So again, you don't have to be bench pressing 100 kilos. Do you know what I mean? But like people, if, they, if they're interested in this stuff, they should really look into the science behind resistance training because the scientists absolutely stating that when it comes to longevity sleep and resistance training are the two kind of things that we need to optimize as i say keith be stronger to live longer and it's mm. probably the leading indicator of our, of our well-being and for biological aging i actually have a 15 kg dumbbell in my office at work i brought it in a few months ago sometimes i get to use it myself but it's really there as a reminder for patients that maybe a conversation about doing some some mm. some strength training and and it's never too late to start, no matter what age you are, you can reap the benefits from from taking action and starting today in small, sustainable ways to just take better care of yourself. Are you a grateful person, Keith? Yeah, absolutely. And probably learned a lot about gratitude uh, through the first Wim Hof experience that I had. Mm. So here's what happened. I went to this experience. It was in London. It was in a hotel in London. I can't remember the name of the hotel, but ultimately when I was there, we did many many rounds of deep breathing now bear in mind i was experienced already at that stage mm. and normally i would do three rounds of deep breathing and hold my well when i say hold on an exhale i would stop breathing for anywhere up to two and a half three minutes at a time which is extended enough we'll say but at this particular experience he got us to do i don't know how many rounds of breathing and then exhale and then you stop breathing and everybody had a different experience so i, I heard people wailing in the background and i talked to them afterwards and they immediately went back to childhood trauma that came out but for me i actually i promise you i just lay there i was fully cataleptic by the way so even if there was a fire i couldn't have moved like i was paralyzed mm -hmm. completely paralyzed just because my body was so super oxygenated uh, 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 and so on so ultimately anyway at that moment in time, tears just came to my eyes and I just expressed love to my kids, my wife. And it sounds a bit cuckoo, right? But that's actually just my true experience, my reality at that moment. And I ex expressed pure gratitude for just being alive. Mm. And, you know, very often I ring people and I, you know, even if it's a rainy day, I go, I just say, God, it's a great day to be alive, isn't mm. it? And you know, I instill that in my own kids and I try to instill gratitude into them. And I, I'm a very grateful person. And for me, like I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm writing a book on sleep at the moment. And very often I think sometimes when I write a book, like with brain hacks, and I've, I've got another book as well on the back burner. But ultimately, when I'm writing a book, very often I think I'm writing a book for myself. In other words, to improve my own sleep and things like that. But to loop back to gratitude, you know, sometimes, not all the time, I'll write down the things that I'm grateful for, which is, I think, a, a good exercise for people, especially if they uh, they don't practice gratitude. And I find we're in a world now, Mark, where I think a lot of people are not grateful. Mm. And people might listen to this and go, well, you know, it's, it's okay for him to say that because, you know, he's got success. Well, actually, you know, down in Waterford, I burnt my hands on the toasters in McDonald's 
and you know did the kids magic from Ross Lair to Roscoff on the boats for many years and and I with Ken Kiersey I worked put my hands up cow's arses with as a vet as a vet you know so I've been there done that and I'm just grateful for the position that I'm in but I think more people need to take a step back mm. and stop whinging and moaning and blaming everybody else mm. for their own situation in life mm. you know success is built inside our own heads not from the circumstances that we find ourselves in so here's the thing there's going to be another war there's going to be another pandemic there's mm. going to be another recession none of it matters the tide's going in and coming out the sun is going up and going down no matter what happens these things have all happened before they'll all happen again it just so happens that a few of them have happened kind of simultaneously mm. at this particular moment in life but that doesn't mean that you have i suppose the right to blame your lifestyle or blame where you're at on all of these mm. things you can control what's inside your own mind and if you take control of that and express gratitude for just the things that you have versus the things that you don't have everything shifts your outlook shifts and to look back to the sleep thing you know when it comes to gratitude to finish on this i, I sometimes struggle with sleep myself and i'll be open with that but i think sometimes my struggles are i'm too excited i have too many things to do mm. like I've, i'm so curious about what i have to do sometimes yeah it can get overwhelming for me because i have so many things on my plate but an overall capacity you know i think expressing gratitude and actually just showing people that you care as well mm. i think is like i'm always willing and ready more importantly and this comes from my dad and my mom for sure i'm always willing and ready to smile and say hello to people like strangers all over like even when i stopped on the way down here i was in the garage and i was smiling and say hello to everybody. not because i'm going off the telly like that's the way i would be if i ended up being a vet or whatever it is but guess what a lot of people are just staring at the ground a lot of people got the headsets on they're listening to a podcast which is fine but they're not looking around them mm. and, and you know remembering about other people mm. and i think that's a little bit sad and i think we do need to check ourselves regularly on that you know i think that's so important i think you know you said two really interesting things there i think you're right there's i think there's an epidemic of gratitude deficiency where people can abdicate responsibility and that's not to say that people don't necessarily have really challenging situations and of course they do but i think gratitude is a wonderful habit to you know give you i think more perspective on the past maybe more peace right now and, and maybe more of a sense of hope and optimism for the future it even improves your sleep i mean there's even science showing that now that it can really move you more into that vagus state and 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 really as you said keith connecting with others you know reaching out smiling you know eye contact People have never needed more connection, particularly after the last while with the with the pandemic and there's so much loneliness and isolation in the world now. So the small little things we do each day can make a big difference. Can I ask you three take homes for a resilient mind for our listeners that you might recommend? I know there's lots in your in your book, Brain Hacks, but give me three. I think the first thing is acceptance. I've studied resilient people. I consider myself pretty resilient too. And I think the number thing, one thing is that we need to accept that bad things are going to happen. And when they happen, to immediately accept it if it's outside of your control. So good example. Imagine this. It was 2007. I was coming back from a funeral. I was driving a gold Subaru, not an Imprensa. It was a Subaru Legacy. And I was doing it at 60 miles an hour. 
the car that was coming opposite me was doing 60 miles an hour. And then out of nowhere, the car from the, came from the other side of the road, hit me head on. So you're talking 120 mile an hour collision. Thank God. And the car spun out of control. My car spun out of control, hit a wall, kind of came backwards. And I looked down and my left foot was wrapped up around my shin going the wrong way. So it turns out I'd broken my knee, my tibia and fibia fully disintegrated all the way down. And my ankle was mashed up to pieces is the only way I could put it. And my foot was going the wrong way. That's a really bad day. Yes. Right? You know I mean? But right there in the car, I accepted it. Like, that's a very strange statement to make. Most people would be just like, not even thinking like that. Well, I thought like that immediately because I knew that was the right thing to do because if I didn't accept the tragedy that was bestowed upon me, if you like, then I, I think I would have been caught in just going down perhaps into depression and into, you know, maybe pill popping for the pain. But once I accepted it, then I could take what I call a massive action to get myself out of that scenario. Uh, so ultimately the doctors three and a half weeks later after they rebuilt my leg. So I have a seven inch plate and 13 screws in my ankle. And ultimately they told me I was going to have a limp for the rest of my life. And I said, no. And they, they were kind of just amused by me. They were like, it was like looking at, do you ever see the way, do you ever see a confused dog? Mm. The dog starts squirming his head from side to side, not knowing what's going on. That's the way they're looking at me like that. And, and I said, no, I, I, I'm going to book Vicar Street, which is one of the bigger theatres in Dublin. So I picked up my phone. I rang uh, Peter Aiken at the time. And I said, Peter, I want you to book me into Vicar Street three months from now. And I'm going to walk on stage with no limp. And they were all kind of laughing at me a little bit. And uh, and they said, look, that's impossible. And I said, no. And, and this is like an interesting phrase by Audrey Hepburn, but it's a good reframe a cognitive reframe to use for people out there i just said no i'm possible and they were mm. what i said no i'm possible i said i'm going to walk on stage without a lip i accept what happened to me but i do not accept the circumstances that you've told me i'm going to be in because i can now control the outcome so ultimately anyway i, I walked on stage three months later with, with no limp and as i sit here before you full of arthritis and full of pain but i just eliminate all that from my brain i just don't really accept it however you've got to accept when the circumstance lands on you, right? So another good example, which is well known in Waterford, like my grandfather, Paddy Barry, was watching television, having a can of Carlin Black Label, having a cigarette. His front door is broken down by a number of burglars. We don't know how many, two or three potentially. They beat him up and then five days later he died. I immediately accepted that because what could I do about it? Now, most people would not accept that, right? They'd, mm-hmm. They just couldn't accept it, but I had to accept it in order then to be able to the second point, because you asked for three, first point is accept when these things happen. The second thing is to magnify the positive in the situation. We, we have to magnify the positive because if you focus on the negative, you'll always have a negative outcome. You've got to magnify the positive. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy to do this. But if you program your mind, which loops back to the creative visualization we spoke mm. about, then it becomes easier. Mm. So, you know, in my own situation in the car, for example, the magnification of the positive was just that I was alive, right? Just that I was actually alive. Because if you look at the statistics, there was two people in my car, myself and my manager at the time, and one in the other car. Like you look at statistics, all three of us should have been dead, mm-hmm. 100%. We should Absolutely. have been dead. So I just magnified the fact that I was alive. When my grandfather was killed, like that was difficult, right? But then I just had to magnify the amazing memories that I cherished with him for all of my life. Like he was an amazing grandfather. I was very close to him. And I just remember like fondly, you know, picking Perry Winkles with him in Tremor, him bringing us to, you know, the rallies uh, during Easter when we get up super early and he'd drive us out, we'd watch the rallies and things like that. And then once you can 
magnify the positive, then you can do, uh, and this is the third point to get back to you. You can do one of kind of three things as the third point. I always say you can take no action, which will yield no results. You can take a small amount of action, which will yield small results. Or you can do as I do, which is always take massive action. And if you, if you do that, so if you accept bad things happen to good people, listen, you're going to have bad times. I'm going to mm-hmm. have bad times. Every single person on this uh, podcast, you're all going to have bad times. Mm-hmm. But the difference is my crap is no different than yours and yours is no mm-hmm. different than mine. It just happens in different timelines and in different ways to different people. We all have it. Everybody has it. So ultimately, if you accept that, and if you then magnify the positive in every scenario and then take massive action to get to wherever you need to get to, to get you out of that situation, then you'll always win and you'll always own your mindset. And, and that for me has been key. And, you know, I could list another 20 things. I've given you two, but I could list another 20 things that have, have happened to me in my life. But, uh, you know, they're the things that I always do in those moments. Well, I think that's really, really interesting. And I'm just thinking of a little mnemonic AMA, A, accept the reality of how you find yourself, M, magnify the positive, and then thirdly, taking taking massive action. But I'm just, I can't help just thinking back to the day of that accident, Keith, and the two cars that, that they had a combined impact speed of 120 miles an hour. And I'm trying to imagine how it was possible for you to survive that, to be totally honest. And I believe it was a miracle that you survived it. And I want to ask you that. Do you believe in miracles? Uh, well, first of all, I'm not necessarily a religious person and miracles tend to sometimes have a religious connotation. Do I believe it was a miracle? No, I suppose I don't. I mean, and, and it's the first time somebody's asked me that. So I'm just giving you a straight off the top yeah. of my head answer. I haven't thought about it deeply, if I'm being honest with you. You know, I think just the safety mechanisms in the Subaru kept us safe, like the airbag. I actually remember hitting the airbag mm. and literally going, that feels really nice. Like, that's mm. so strange for me to say that, right? And that was, of course, until I looked down at my leg and then the yeah. pain kicked in. <laughs> and then that was a whole different story. But the guy in the other car, he flew through his passenger window and had lots of internal injuries, I believe. And I never heard too much from him. We won't get into that. But ultimately, the three of us were all very injured. Do I believe it was a miracle? Probably not. Do I believe in miracles? I don't really think so. I think we're the product of our own minds. And I think probably like ownership mindset is key mm. these days. I think it's lacking. I think it's really lacking. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at what's going on in organizations, so as you know, like I work a lot with different organizations in different capacities. Sometimes I'm brought in for employee motivation. Sometimes I'm brought in, you know, to problem solve. But ultimately, when I question these people, you know, they love playing the blame game. Mm. You know, it's it's the bank's fault. It's my boss's fault, it's the CEO's fault, it's the company's fault. And that's why employee retention is probably at an all time low right now. People are jumping chip from company to company. So second a carrot is dangled and they get a little pay rise, they're gone for the next thing. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to to ownership mindset and, you know, I think if you own your own mind and create possibilities that you know might seem impossible but i don't really believe in the word impossible so when it comes to miracles i think miracles for me is something that we can create ourselves mm. so in that capacity was a miracle mm. yes but in the kind of esoterical term i don't believe it was a miracle um but i believe we can create uh mm. you know as close to miracles as we can ourselves as individuals 
Well, I love that term ownership mindset. So, you know, acceptance, magnifying the positive and massive action all underpinned by an ownership mindset. Mm. Finally, for you, Keith, what's the meaning of life? It's a heavy question, right? The meaning of life for me is living the best possible life I can lead and leave the world a better place for my kids. So I am aware I do a lot of charity work and I do it quietly unless the charities ask me to create noise. If they want me to create noise, I create noise. So for example, a recent charity that you know wants me to, to talk about it is Barrettstown. And just the smiles that I put on the kids' faces recently when I performed there, like that will actually remain with me for years mm-hmm. to come. I perform all over the world and I do all kinds of things. But actually, just to see the smiles on kids' faces, sick kids' faces, when I just do the most basic of magic and not just their faces, the release of tension in the parents as well, because, you know, it's heavy for them sometimes. And they just to, to see magic in the kids' eyes is amazing. So for me, it's meaning of life. I think it's different for every person, but for me, it's leaving the world a better place. So and the reason I mentioned charities, I, I do a lot of charity work. However, I don't believe I do enough sustainability work, right? So I need to, I always go the asset is time, right? Because I'm always time crunched. So for me, I always am aiming to earn slightly more money, not for money's sake, in order, in order to get myself to a positioning where I can gain back mm. more time to do the right things for the world. And that might seem like a grandiose statement. But for me, for example, I mentioned fishing. So right now, there's multiple fish farms off of Ireland. We won't get into it this conversation, but just to give you where I get to in my head, I drilled 13 layers down into my own personal purpose. And on the 13th layer, revelation happened, right? And the revelation was that ultimately these fish farms are bad for the wild Atlantic salmon and the stocks are going down hugely. Our wild Atlantic salmon like, is on full-blown decline. And a large part of the problem, perhaps not all of the problem, but a large part of the problem is these fish farms because sea lice are getting off the fish and diseasing the wild Atlantic salmon and so on and so on. So part of my own personal purpose is to get those moved inland. They can't be shut down, but they can be moved inland. We can fish farm inland and therefore it's safe because the sea lice can't get onto our wild Atlantic salmon stocks. However, that's a big multi-billion euro problem. In order to solve that problem, I need to put a lot of time into it. A small amount of time won't do it. So therefore, I need to work harder over the next couple of years because in my head, when I get to 50 is when I'm going to put the time into the sustainability to leave the world a better place. I'm going to be lovely to do that. And other things I want to do is, you know, we still have 32 raw sewage pipes pumping crap into the Irish Sea untreated. It's crazy to me. And that's something I want to focus on as mm. well. And, you know, people will say that's an impossible problem to solve. The amount of people have told me it just can't be done because, you know, government aren't putting the funding into it. That makes me want to do it even more. You know, I love Dunmore East. I love Tremor. I love the beaches up around Dublin. I love Kalini. But ultimately, I get back to it. The meaning of life for me is, first of all, bring two stable children into the world to navigate them into the world so that if I drop dead tomorrow, I'll have two kids that hopefully will be able to move their own way through this world and navigate their own way. And I think we're almost there. Like we've got a 14 year, 11 year old, the grand scheme. They seem at least to be quite stable human beings, which is difficult. A lot of people are struggling with their children. So I think first and foremost, to make sure that they're stable and, and having a good life. And then, as I said, to spread magic and to leave the world a better place. And I've given you a couple of examples of how I want to do that, uh, but I haven't focused on those things just yet. 
Well, Keith, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep inspiring, keep spreading magic with an ownership mindset. And above all, keep being curious. Keith, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, always remember, there's no magic sprinkle. There's no magic dust. Might sound corny, but the real magic is inside each and every person listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. Oh,